Hey, the children are free to go now to Children's Church. Go have fun. All right. Well, that was fun. You know what? I got I to gotta do a little, okay, you know, just being anal, I'm, I'm seeing this row is because it's like, I don't know what that's doing to my eye. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> um, is, um, interesting, Amara, I don't know if you know this, but your mom was in my youth group way back in the day, and then she went on to do ballet ministry, and she was actually a ballerina with the SF. I know, I'm telling everybody else. Yeah, I'm telling you. Her mom was with the, we, I remember we went and saw your mom in the Nutcracker, actually, at, at the San Francisco Ballet. So continuing the legacy. That's, that's uh, very, very exciting. All right, well, let's pray. We are going to jump into God's Word. Father God, thank you for an opportunity and a time to just tell you how wonderful you are, to give to you, to sing about you, to allow our hearts to really embrace how wonderful you are, God. That last song that we sang just, it's so wonderful that your grace and your mercy is so available and so dumped on us. I think about waking up every morning and how there's just a truckload of new mercies waiting for us, God. That's so wonderful. So God, I pray as we, as we look into your word this morning that God, your, your Holy Spirit would teach us and lead us and guide us in all wisdom and truth. And it's Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, this morning, all right, that's where we are this morning in the Ten Commandments in our study. We're coming to the Sixth Commandment, which simply states, you shall not murder. Or in the original Hebrew, it just says, no murder. Okay, that's, that's the plain and simple, right to the point. And we're going to go right away into your notes here. I got, we're going to start firing right away. And because I, what I would say is I think most people agree with the premise of this commandment, which condemns individual Individual persons deliberate, willful, premeditated, and unlawful taking of another person's life. Okay? That is the premise of this. It has nothing to do with killing animals and different things like that. That is the premise of this thing, is, to t- is taking human life in this, in this way. Okay? But what about the other issues? What about the other issues that this commandment really could be addressing as well? I mean, what about, what if someone is terminally ill? You know, this is something that's been debated for a long time. What if someone's terminally ill? Is it okay to mercifully assist in the death of that person? Or what about capital punishment? I mean, shouldn't somebody who takes someone's, deliberately and willfully takes someone's life, have to pay for that crime by losing their own? Or what about a woman who is raped or becomes pregnant? Or if an, an, an expected child is likely to be severely disabled, might an abortion be acceptable in these cases? What about war? Is it okay to go to war? Is it okay for a person to go to war and take another person's life? What about self-defense? Is it okay to take someone's life in self-defense. These are issues that are very hotly debated today, very much so on both sides, both sides of these issues, Christians, non-Christians uh, debating these. But this morning, my, the purpose is not for us to figure out what all these, what the answer to all these issues is, because the truth is that although this commandment is about and addresses the taking of human life, What we're going to see really more than anything, what this commandment addresses 
is the condition of our heart. This, is, this, go, this commandment goes to the core of the, of the condition of our heart at any time, whatever we're, go, whatever we're going, through, go, going through. Yet I believe we can actually explore or navigate these issues that I had just talked about a few minutes ago, along with this true meaning of this commandment, when we rely on really one key principle. One key principle really guides us and helps us to understand how to even talk intelligently about these issues, okay? And what it says is sealed up there. Number two on your notes is God's word, can, word tells us that all human life is sacred. Okay, this is the premise where these arguments and these discussions need to begin, that all human life is sacred, and sacred is meaning that it is to be highly cherished and is to be carefully protected. Okay, so now the issues are solved. <laughs> no. <laughs> this, it, it, it is difficult. But like I said, this goes to the heart. We need to be thinking that you're going to hear that word over and over again today, this morning. Heart. This is all about the heart. Okay? And we're going to see how Jesus helps us to under, understand all this. Okay? So let's look at a couple reasons, though why human life is sacred. Why is it so sacred? Well, one reason, number three on your notes is because it's a precious gift from God. It's a precious gift from God. Familiar verse for many of you. Look at what David says in Psalm 139, 13 to 16. For you have formed me, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there was none of them. That speaks very specifically to how precious life is. And wonderful. But look what Jeremiah, remember when Jeremiah, when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, listen, listen, what, he, listen what he tells him in Jeremiah chapter one. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nation. So what these verses really do, these verses tell us that God's personal care and unique plan for every individual, every individual life actually begins from the time that we are in our mother's womb. From the time of conception, we, God knows he not only is present with us, but he has our days numbered. He knows everything about our lives. And this isn't just coming from a pastor. This is coming from God's word. That he knows us. Not just knows us, but isn't that amazing? He's got everything planned out. That's how intimately he knows us. That's all planned out. That's what makes life such a special gift. It's no small thing. Well, and another reason, number four on your notes there, life is sacred, is because we are created in God's image. Okay, we're created in God's image. And here's what that means. What that means is that we've been created to reflect, resemble, and communicate who God is 
and what he is like. I think we've all heard us, yeah, we're creating God, God's image. But do you see what that really means? What that really means that we are created to actually reflect and show what God is like, his character, his love, his justice, his mercy, his grace. We are to reflect that. That's what the human race was created for. To reflect who God is, what he is like. Remember in Genesis chapter uh, 1, we read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? And that's a whole nother tangent we can go off on. Why he created man male and why he created them female and how that's supposed to all play out. It's a very well oiled, well-organized thing that God did in creating man and woman, okay? Yet even in the New Testament, we see that the fall of man, because you think, okay, that was great. That's how God created everybody to reflect his image. But what about the fall? Didn't that just screw everything up? Didn't that just mess up how we are to reflect him? Well, look in um, the book of James, we see that the fall of man really doesn't change that. James writes this when he's talking about our tongue. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse what? People who are made in what? The likeness of God. He's talking about people right now. With our tongue, we do all these crazy things. We praise God and we curse people but the people that were created in God's, in God's image. You see, even though we have, in a sense, kind of, I guess you could say, blemished or kind of messed up this image of God with our sin nature, the reality is that those, that, oh, those of us that are in Christ now, we're actually in the process now of being shaped and made again into that image of God. This is a very, this theological word you've probably heard if you've been in church for a long time, sanctification. That's what sanctification means. Sanctification means that we are being set apart more and more and more as we walk with Christ to reflect the image of our creator. That's what being sanctified means as believers, and that's what's happening with us. Look what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians. He says this, you have been put off, he says, you have put off old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. So as we become more and more like Christ, we bear more and more the image of God. We're already image bearers, but that image becomes clearer and brighter and, and more tantalizing to the, to the world as we, as we grow, in our, as the more that we are sanctified, as our sanctification is, as works out. And so what does that look like, though? What does that sanctification look like? Well, later on, Paul says more about this whole idea in the book of Ephesians. I know we're looking at a lot of verses, kind of what happens when we're not going through verses of the Bible. We're doing a series on this stuff, so kind of jump around a lot. But look what he says. He's, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, put on the new self, okay, Created after the likeness of God, and look what he says, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? So what, we see, what we're seeing through all this is that every human life is sacred, precious, gift 
from God, created in him, in his image, for the purpose of reflecting or resembling and communicating God's righteousness and his holiness. That's a huge responsibility, isn't it? You see why it's so important that we are always in a state of desperation? Desperation for God and desperation for Jesus to be changing us. Desperation for the Holy Spirit to be speaking into our lives. So the reason is so that we can live up to the very reason that we were created. Not to be perfect, not to earn God's favor, but to reflect the righteousness and the holiness of God that we could never do on our own in a million years. Because as we're going to see, we're all murderers. So we need Jesus desperately to radically change our lives. Okay? The thing is, though, when people come to this commandment, when this commandment, when people start talking about commandment, really most people breathe a sigh of relief, actually. They say, whew, all right, finally, a commandment I have not broken. I know for a fact I have not killed anybody. Okay? I can stand here right now and tell you I've thought about it, but I've never done it. You know, what was that? What was that? Um, well, my wife's not here. She can help me with that. Is It was uh, uh, Billy Graham's wife when she was always asked about the marriage to Billy Graham, if she ever thought of divorce. And she goes, divorce, never. Murder, yes. <laughs> uh, but think of, we think about people think, oh, that's, I, I'm, good. I'm clean. I'm free. This is one of the 10 that I don't have to worry about. I'm not like those people on death row. I'm not like that, the person out there that I just saw on the news all the time. Now, let me ask you a question, though. Have you ever harbored bitterness or anger towards someone? Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever wished someone harm or misfortune? Have you ever thought about or told someone with absolute disdain or in contempt that they were a total idiot? Have you ever spoken angrily to your spouse don't look like that, <laughs> to your children, to your parents, or to anyone else? Have you ever fumed at a bad driver and just <laughs> ever, ever, ever had that happen? Remember, as we've been going through this series, we have seen that Jesus, what he does, he kind of upends our thinking about the commandments, doesn't he? He takes them to this broader and this deeper view of what they really, really mean. He helps us see that instead of being a bunch of rules that are to be kept in order to earn God's favor, they're meant to show us the limitations of our own goodness. They're meant to show us how we need transformed hearts and that we need Jesus, our deep need for Jesus to set us free from the futility of trying to earn God's favor. We can't do it. It's impossible. Look what he says. Look what he says about this commandment, this very commandment in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, You have heard that it was said of those of old, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment, which by the way, back then, the, murder, the judgment for murder was death. Capital punishment was something that was... That's what the Bible said. This is what, this is the punishment. You take someone's life willfully and you want them dead. You, you do that on purpose. Um, death. That's what it said back then. We shall not murder. 
and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That same judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, you jerk, you idiot, and says that with contempt is liable to the hell of fire. <laughs> wow. Wow. Jesus, what are you doing? This is amazing. We see here on number five on your notes here, Jesus places anger and insults in the same category as murder. You see, this commandment prohibits not only the act of murder, but all thoughts and emotions that are considered murderous, like anger, bitterness, insults, verbal abuse, and rage. Why? Why does he do that? Because ultimately murder is a matter of the, the word I said, heart. Murder is a matter of the heart and begins with what we allow our heart and ultimately our mind to dwell on. Now, I don't know about you, not only am I thirsty, but I'm having a hard time swallowing a lot of this. This is heavy, isn't it? This is like, wow, what are you saying to us, Jesus? What are you saying? What Jesus is doing is getting, what helping to do is get us far beyond the outward observation of the law to our thoughts and to our attitudes, which underlie the actions that happen, whether we carry them out or not. Isn't it easy to say, look at someone, I'm so much better than them, or not even to say that, but at least I didn't do that, right? At least I've never done that. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's get past all this religious gobbledygook. Let's get past the rules and earning my faith. Let's get down to the real issue here. Your heart. That's what I'm interested in is your heart. You see, because in a civil courtroom, only the actual act of murder can be judged, right? I mean, I, I don't think anybody's ever been sent to jail because they were angry. I can't remember. You were so angry. We know you were angry. You, I heard you fume. I heard you swear. You're going to jail. No, that would never happen. But what Jesus is saying that in God's courtroom, just being angry is subject to judgment. That's heavy. Now, it's important to point out that obviously not anger, anger, all anger is wrong. Number six on your notes, it says, there is, no, there is a such a thing as righteous anger, obviously. It's, it's an anger that does not wish any evil or harm to someone, but is angry at actual sin and evil. If you see what's going on in the world and you watch the news and you're angry, not necessarily at a person, you're just, but you're just angry at that evil. That just, you just hate that evil. That's okay. That's okay. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking, to, is about, talking about unrighteous anger that really stems from, from pride or from bitterness or from hatred or revenge or insecurity. That's what he's talking about here. Now, notice how he drills down. Notice how Jesus drills down to the heart of the issue. He says that if you as much as insult someone, you're subject to the same judgment as someone who committed murder. And if you call them a fool, or really kind of in our vernacular, it would be like you call someone a moron, and really in your heart and in, a, in disdain mean that, he said, you're subject to the fires of hell. Man, 
Clearly, our thoughts and our attitudes and our words matter to God. If anything you get out of this today, hopefully you will see that what matters to God is our heart, is our attitudes, the things that we dwell on and how we say things, because that's what's going to happen. It's going to come out. It is going to come out. See, Jesus is demonstrating a higher standard of obedience to the law. Remember, the religious leaders are like, I'm keeping all these, no problem. Remember the guy that came, the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? I've kept all those from, from my youth. But he's raising the bar is what he's doing of obedience to the law. He knows that the act of murder is more than just killing somebody. It, it's a matter of the heart because that's where it starts. I mean, how often have I found myself observing someone? Are you seeing yourself? Like I, when I talked about driving, I saw a lot of heads nod, by the way. When you, when you see someone, someone cuts you off or someone says something and you just think, you idiot. You are such a fool. And you really mean, I mean, deep down, you mean it. I mean, you are an idiot. How often have I been angry? How often have you been angry at someone or bitter at someone and just let it fester? I don't know about you, but one of the things I'm really good at when I go to bed at night is playing conversations in my head. Some, and sometimes I don't get to sleep for hours because of that. Anybody else ever do that? You just kind of like, and, you, you, and then you, you, and you take it down a really bad road and just fester. Or then let it fester for days, weeks, months, even years that we let that kind of stuff fester. That's our human nature. That's our sin nature, hard at work there. You see, according to God's word, whether it's bitterness, anger, insults, or deliberate t- per- deliberately taking someone's life, it's all murder. And therefore deserves to be punished alike. This is why empty religion and trying to be good on our own to gain God's favor is absolutely pointless. It's worthless. Don't even try. Number seven, God is far more concerned with transforming our hearts than us simply doing good and avoiding bad behavior. And we've talked about this in the past, the whole idea of sin management. God is so much more concerned about transforming our heart than he is us getting good at managing our sin. So much more. I mean, worlds apart. Because this, the truth is, the condition of our heart determines the course of our lives. Let me say that again. The condition of our heart, of your heart, determines the course of of your life. I think we're so used to saying, no, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to self-improvement. But if we're not improving our heart, and there's only one that can improve our heart. See why Jesus is so necessary for our world? See why Jesus is so necessary for us to just fully lean into? Because without doing that, we are going to go down some bit, really scary paths. Look what Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. But I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I've I've never killed anybody. God's saying, you know what? You are going to live out your life in ways that your heart has grabbed onto. It's going to happen. You might not murder someone. You might not kill somebody. But the impact of your heart on yourself and everybody around you is going to be huge. It's going to be big. 
So we've seen that keeping the sixth commandment to not murder is important because life is sacred and precious and that we were, we were created in God's image in order to reflect who he is and what he is like to the world. We've seen that anger and resentment and bitterness and insults towards others are seen by God as murder because they are the root of a murderous heart. Yet really a key lesson here, number eight in your notes, really to me a key lesson that we are to learn from this commandment is how we treat other people is extremely important to God. That's going to come out of our heart. How, you're, how you treat other people, you can just look, look at your heart. It's all coming from your heart. John Calvin says this, Our neighbor bears the image of God. To use him, abuse him, or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. Pastor Alistair Begg says this, he writes, we honor God by respecting his image in each of us. The powerful truth is keeping this commandment is key in learning how to ultimately fulfill the second greatest commandment of all. Remember what Jesus said was the greatest, the two great commandments that can sum up the entire law? One was love the Lord your God with everything you got, and the other one was what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We like the first one. The first one sounds, is wonderful. Second one sounds like a good idea. You know, that sounds like a good idea. But it's the basis of everything. It's the basis of a true relationship with Jesus. It's the, it's the basis of a truly transformed hearts. It helps us to learn to love others, number nine on your notes, like Jesus, including those who mistreat us. Wow, that's, that's where the big one is. I'll love my neighbor, but not the jerk. You know, that guy over there. Or I'll love so-and-so, but man, they've really done a number on me. That can't include them. Mm -mm. That's what he's saying. Going on in these verses in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, so remember we talked about this, what he he says you're supposed to do. But he he says, if you are offering your gift, okay, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, this is such a misinterpreted verses. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you to in the prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid back a penny. Notice who Jesus put the onus on here? Notice he puts the onus. He puts the onus on the person who knows that someone has something against them. That's how important loving others is to God. We go to somebody because we always say, if they got a problem with me, they should just talk to me. If you got a problem with me, tell me. No, I know you got a problem with me. These verses are saying, I need to go to you. Because that's the basis of truly loving others. See how Jesus is just taking all this and just taking it to a place where we're going, I could never do that. And he's going, you're right. You can't. Without me, you can't. And I want to help you to do that. 
The Apostle Paul, remember, he emphasized this too when he said this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit murder. or Adultery, that's coming up next week. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in these words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We love to love the people that are easy to love. But in order to truly fulfill the law and to be obedient and to not be a lawbreaker, Jesus is saying, we need to love. Even those that are hard, that mistreat us. Those that are hard to love. So how do we do this? How do we in this fallen and broken state due to our sinful, you know, who we are, sinful pride and all that stuff, how do we keep this commandment? How do we possibly do this? Because I know this has been really bleak up until this point. How do we do this? How do we then not be a uh, perpetual murderer? Because it sounds like that's what Jesus is saying. And it is. He's saying that on our own, our hearts are murderous. I mean, we, I could go down a whole trail of verses in the Bible, talk about how the heart is just horrible on its own and how murderous it is on its own. So how do we do this? I, want, I just want to drill into this just a little bit. Look again at this passage in Ephesians. We're going to, Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus says this, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we see here, we're to put off our old self, or we're to put off our old ways. This phrase literally means to, to lay aside, to lay down, like, like, you would ta- like when you take off a shirt and you want to wear it the next day, or a blouse and you want to wear it the next day, you lay it down, you put it down. So he's saying when that's what this is talking about, it's the same phrase actually was at, that was used in Acts chapter 7. Remember when it said that all these witnesses and basically these people that went to go stone Stephen? What did they do? They took off their robes, and what did they do? They laid them at the feet of Saul. It's the same phrase, exact same phrase. What it was doing, they were probably what it means, is they were laying down their garments so they would be more freed up to throw the stones at Stephen. So they'd be freed up to do what they came to do. That's what this is talking about. So number 10 in your notes, it says, we are to intentionally put off Lay down or lay aside our old self or ways of thinking and acting that are contrary to our relationship with Christ. I know most of us in this room, we know when a thought or a word or something, an attitude comes, we know when they're contrary to to our life in Christ because the Holy Spirit nudges us. If we're walking with God, the Spirit will nudge us in these things. These are ways that are corrupted by our deceitful desires, this verse talks about, because we're continually bombarded by our our sin nature in this. Remember, God, here's the the good news is, remember, God gave the Ten Commandments to free us up. He gave them to free us from this deceptive thinking, 
to free us from this way of thinking that I had to earn God's favor somehow or that I had to control things in my life. I need to be able, it's my right to be angry or resentful and bitterness and judgmental towards that person because they wronged me. And that gives me power. But this, this commandment is meant to free us from that. No, don't live in anger. Don't live in bitterness. Don't live with resentment. Don't live like that. Because one, you're murdering somebody. But two, that's not how I want you to live. I want your heart to be pure. I want you to enjoy a pure heart. I want you to enjoy all the fruitful benefits of sanctification. I want you to enjoy the benefits of becoming more and more like Jesus. And more and more like this image bearer of God's image. That's why, he's, that's why he is saying this. He gave this to free us up, to put us, to not have to think that way. And really, this is what empowers us to obey this commandment. Not willpower, but freedom. Remember the guardrails? We talked about guardrails. It's like these guardrails. I don't have to live in resentment. I don't have to be anger, angry. I don't have to be bitter because God has so much better for me. God wants to transform my heart. And if I hang on to these things, I'm not allowing that to happen. Number 11, the truth is that only Jesus in us enables us to keep this commandment because he is the ultimate life giver. There's no way that we cannot be a life taker. It's in our nature. It's our sin. It's our pride. But Jesus is the true life giver, and only him in us are we able to keep this commandment. He was unfairly murdered. He was completely innocent, yet he willfully took upon himself God's righteous anger we deserved. And the disobedience, our disobedience, and he took it on himself in order to provide a way for us not only to have a pure heart, but to have the power and the ability to truly love others, even those that mistreat us. You can try hard. You want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try to love other people? Go ahead. Guaranteed, it's going to fall short. It is going to. God wants us to be able to love people with a supernatural love. No, does that mean it's going to be easy? No. But we need to recognize the power of it, the power of the negative part, the power of the death that comes when we hate and when we slander and when we're angry and we say nasty things. How powerful, how life-taking that is, yet how life-giving to have our hearts transformed by the power of Jesus. And sometimes taking two steps forward and three steps back in that area, that happens. But keep moving on. Number 12 in your notes, the best way to do this is to allow Jesus to help us by reminding ourselves of the dangers of allowing anger, envy, bitterness, or hatred to fester and to deal swiftly with our murderous thoughts, attitudes, and words by confessing them to God and asking for power to overcome. It's interesting, in the last couple weeks in studying this passage, remember we talked about the driving piece. I've really been convicted about this. Um, sometimes I think, I don't care what you guys think, studying for these passages are great for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, 
uh, I've been, I remember a guy driving and just drove, ter- just did something terrible. And my first reaction was to react. And having been in this study, I was so reminded. It's almost like this, not accusing, but a little voice came and said, murderer. Mm. I went, you're right. Jesus, I don't want to be like that. I know you don't want me to be like that. And I know you don't hate me for being like that. You want me to be better. You want me to trust you, to make me new, to cleanse my heart. It was a real freeing time for me, actually. And then I ran him off the road. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> Sorry, that kind of defeated that whole thing, didn't it? Um, all right, a couple questions. I want us to talk about this. Because I don't know about you, because this has really stirred a lot in me. This commandment really stirred up a whole lot inside of me. So I just want to, let's, let's ask a few questions. Some of them might overlap a little bit, but I really want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. We need to hear from each other. The first question is this. How has your, just plain and simple, how has your spe- perspective on how God views murder been impacted by this morning's talk, by this? What are some thoughts that have been coming to you as we've been talking about all this and as we've seen God's perspective on this? I knew I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I tell you, how, how, how has your perspective on God's view of murder been impacted? Maybe negatively, positively, giving you some new ideas about it? What? Huh? And my hope is it's, hope is it's not convicting in a sense like, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Uh, I can't be who I'm supposed to. I can't come to this church anymore. You know, no, no. Hopefully it makes you realize, oh my gosh, I need Jesus so bad. Anything else? Anybody else? Anything that's just, yes. Is that amazing? Yes, great, yeah. As we do it over and over and over and over again, yeah. That's great, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Sue. Mm-hmm. That's a human that's, even though they are not regenerated, a born-again believer, that is a person who is made in God's image. Yes. That's, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. Yes. And that's, that really segues into the next question here. How would viewing all human life as sacred impact, how should viewing all human life as sacred impact the way we think about and how we treat other people? How should that? And for seeing them as sacred. Creating God's image. How does that impact? The, how should that impact the way we treat them? I think for me, it's it's a deterrent to follow through with yeah. saying something or having a bad idea. There's an expression we talked about body study just a few years ago, and it was 
Because at the very minimum, it's impacting our heart. At the very minimum. We might not act out on it and hurt it, but it, it is impacting our heart. Yeah. Yeah, Becky. My mother told me a long time ago when I was being bullied, she said, they must be hurting so much to treat you like that. Mm. Look at their needs, not their faults. I was like, Mom, we're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> Just what a teenager girl wants to hear, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. She was basically, in a sense, telling you they are made in God's image. They are important. They are special. They're valuable, even though they're not acting like it. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Dave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's so funny you say that because lately that's been a part of this too for me has been what if I act out, but what if God brings that person back into my life and opens up an opportunity to share Christ with him? Or her, or what? What if I'm supposed to be like we talked about before? I'm supposed to be that supernaturally. God places that person in my life to be the person I'm supposed to influence. My oikos. What if that they're supposed to be that person, and I have acted out? And not that big of a way, but I was still an idiot. I was still like dumb to them. I was still bad. Like I don't want to do that. I don't want to injure that. Like the guy that I ran off the road, I still witnessed to him. <laughs> All right, last one, last one. What might be some practical ways that we can put off or lay aside ways of thinking and acting that are contrary to our relationship with Jesus and in turn put on a new way of thinking and acting? What are some practical ways that we can lay aside or put down that old way of thinking and acting because of our, that is contrary to our relationship with Jesus and put on a new way. Practical ideas, anybody? Yes. Yes. Great. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. So good. That's great, Maria. That's so good. And do it like we said. Go put up that slide, uh, number 12, again, because that really speaks to what Maria um, is saying here. 
is um, confessing, is confessing it. Look at the way Jesus helps us this commandment is we, first of all, remind ourselves of the danger and hey, let, let it fester and deal like what she, I think what Maria is saying too, add on top of that, do it swiftly. Confess it right away. I mean, right away. That's so important that we do it right away and deal with it. I love what you said, Maria, too, about then letting God just look, kind of see you who for you are. He loves you. I'm not, yeah, that's just so good. What else? Anything other, other practical? Yeah. Just remind yourself every morning that you're an ambassador Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yes. Give yourself time to confess and reaction. Yes. Yes. For some of us, that's really hard. The reaction comes pretty quick, doesn't it? Dan, did you have some? I saw a hand over here. Was that Kenny? Was that you? Yeah. Well, I'm just reminding, I think it was from the medical uh, ideology, do no harm. Mm. Hmm. You know, like when you talk about the sun, when you speak out loudly and, and incorrect angrily, that hurts somebody. But it hurts us too. Yep. Yep. And so we have to, like we talk about confession. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's repercussions for that. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else on this? this is so good. Yeah, Michelle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we cut someone up, we hope that they're thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Dave. Something like that, yeah. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. 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 One of the things I put on my notes is, uh, be, is the importance of soaking in God's Word. Once again, here's, a, here's another great reason for not seeing being in God's Word and reading the Bible just because we should do it as believers. We need it. I need, yeah, Sue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's so good. Yeah. 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 That's so good. And really, everything we're talking about right here, we really need the help of one another. We need the help of one another to make all this happen. That's why I've been harping on the whole idea. We are family. We need to be in each other's lives. One of my other things is having someone that you're accountable to. You got anger issues or you know you've got, this is something that you're wanting to deal with. Don't deal with it alone. We're not meant to deal with it alone. Iron sharpens iron. 
We need each other desperately. You're trying to do this Christian thing alone. Forget it. <laughs> it doesn't work. Did you have something? You sure? Did I take your thunder? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff, you people. Thanks so much. You guys encourage me so much with this. We're going to move into our time of communion. I just want to encourage you as we, as we take the cup, you know, where Jesus said that, you know, the, the bread is a, represents my body that was broken for you. Take it in remembrance of him. And, and he says to, to take the cup that resembles, that represents his blood and the atonement for our sins. You guys, there's good news for us murderers. There's great news for us murderers. We're loved. We're cherished because of Jesus' broken body. So as the band plays, I just want to encourage you to take some time to let God's word from this morning and how the Spirit is speaking to your heart. Remember him and thank him for how he views a murderer like us. Keith Green had a song. You know the old artist, he said, I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. That's our desire, to have a heart like Jesus.